Uh, we know that um, last week we were looking at Psalm 56. David was in Gath, not a good place to be. Uh, he was uh, in great danger there and was in great fear there. Uh, and Psalm 56 was written on that occasion when he escaped from the Philistines in Gath. And, but he's still on the run. Uh, Saul is, uh, is still after him, but David runs, flees back into the land of Israel and, uh, and goes and hides in a cave. And Psalm 57 then is written uh, from that experience as David uh, reflects on God in the cave of Adullam. <clears throat> Let's read it together. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, we know that you have, by your Holy Spirit, inspired David to write these words in a time of great trouble. And I pray, Lord, that in our day, we might hear these words and see what David saw of God, that we might see you, Father, know you, and, uh, and be able to trust you today so that our fear uh, becomes confidence and joy and praise. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would do what only the spirit can do in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to ask you this morning, how do you feel? It's not a common question um, uh, preachers ask, uh, or that I ask people, I don't generally ask, how do you feel? But it's, it's important this morning for you just to think, just for a moment, how do you feel? What emotions uh, are residing in you? Uh, happiness? Um, weariness? Um, depression? Anxiety? Fear? Um, what is it? Maybe you're just empty today. Maybe you feel kind of emotionally numb. Well, whatever it is, um, it's important to uh, just kind of pay attention to that because uh, our emotions have great power to dictate our life. Um, our emotions can really define us. Um, the, uh, if, if you're having a bad day and you reflect on what made that a bad day, you'll, you'll find often that what made it a bad day was how you felt, and then how you spoke or thought or acted out of how you felt. And the reason I bring up the, the issue of emotions is because the Psalms have a unique place in Scripture. Uh, this, while Scripture, all of it is given to teach and train us in righteousness, Paul says in, uh, in 2 Timothy 3, 
uh, this, the Psalms do so in a, in a unique way. Most of Scripture is written, well, all of it is written, right, to, to educate us, to train our minds, mold our wills. But the Psalms uniquely train our emotions. The Psalms teach us how, to, how, how faith should feel and what faith should actually accomplish in our emotional life. Um, and, and so in Psalm 56, we, we saw that David was in a time of great fear. He was very much afraid, and yet um, he shows us what to do in, in times of fear. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And, and as David put his trust in God, he was, he was able to believe, this I know, that God is for me. And so he takes hold of God by, by, by faith. I know that God is for me. And because he knows that, then he says, what can men do to me? The fear of what people could do to him is replaced by this confidence, people can't do anything to me if God is for me. And so uh, that's, that's how faith works in, in our emotional life. And in Psalm 57, which is a companion to Psalm 56, written right after it, uh, we see David in, it, in this ongoing trial. Now he's in the cave, the cave of Adullam. And um, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a fun place to be. I, I, I don't really enjoy caves. Uh, I'm a bit claustrophobic. I don't like being in, in close places. Um, but I, I, I've been in caves. I can't imagine living in one. They're dark. They're damp. Uh, there are bats um, and other varmints in there. I just, it doesn't feel like a place to call home. That's where David is. And he's there like a week after uh, he was enjoying all the privileges of the palace. He was an honored son of Israel. He was a known man, a mighty warrior. People sang about him. And so he moves from that position of great honor and uh, un ending success and uh, all the comforts of the palace, the, the best that the world had to offer. In a week, David is in a cave being hunted like an animal. He's never done this before. It's a brand new experience for him. And in that experience, David writes this psalm, and it's not a psalm of lament. It doesn't start with why, O Lord. He doesn't ask why anywhere in the psalm. It's actually a psalm of praise. As he seeks God and experiences the peace that faith in God can give. I just, as I'm going through the last week and this week again, just convinced that one of the most important life skills for a Christian to learn is to learn how to actually take peace and joy in the context of the trials of life. Um, how to functionally trust God, functionally, so that fear actually does turn to praise. How, do, how, does, that, how does that work? How do you do that? But you see, we all know that we're supposed to trust in God. We all know that. And if I asked you this morning, is God trustworthy? I think every single one of you would say, yes. God is trustworthy. And yet, when the storms of life, the trials of our normal lives, happen to us, how quickly don't we turn to fear? 
Instinctively, almost, we turn to fear. And our fear seems reasonable to us. If someone would ask you, why are you afraid? You could have, you'd have five reasons that all make perfect sense to you. Uh, why you're afraid. Your fear seems appropriate. And yet, you see, the narrative of our life, we find in Psalm 57 and all of Scripture, the narrative of our life does not need to be constrained by what we know and what we think and what we see. But, but rather, you see, the, the narrative of our life can be molded by the reality of what God knows and what God sees and, and what God is up to. And so the, the story that we tell ourselves about our circumstances, which is, right, that's the, the story we live in. This guy did that to me, and they did this, and I'm afraid of that, and this is going to happen, and I read that in the news. All these things become part of the story we tell about our life, and we live in that, in that story. And, and what Scripture wants to do is explode that story blow up that narrative so that the, 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 uh, the realities that define our story are the realities that pertain to God and to His Word and to His character and His purposes. And so instead of saying, I, I heard this on, or read this in the, in the news, uh, we, I read this in the Bible. I, I heard this in Scripture. And those are the realities that are actually defining the story I tell myself about my life. Well, that's what Psalm 57 is about. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, um, I think it's, uh, uh, let's just follow it through. The psalm begins with a prayer, a petition. Uh, be, mercy, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. The, the act of trusting in God in a functional way begins with the act of prayer. There are certain things that we do in our life, in our everyday life, that require a natural and necessary order of things. If you're going to drive a car, you first need to uh, start the engine. Yeah, so that's what that comes first. If you're gonna if you're gonna prepare a meal, you first need to purchase the ingredients. You have to have everything you need there. It's a natural, necessary order. Well, the same comes with spiritual things. God has structured the realities of our spiritual life so that there is a natural and necessary order. Uh, the act of trusting in God and uh, and, and taking refuge in him begins with the act of prayer in, in your experience, right? This is, um, now you can say, well, I know this, but isn't it so often true? It's not what we do. Um, we just live in the fear. If we're going to functionally trust the Lord, we have to begin with prayer. God says in Psalm 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. That's the order. That's how it works. You're in trouble. Call upon me. God responds. If you are in trouble and you are not calling upon God, if you're not on your knees in prayer, you are not, you're not in the process. You're not trusting him. You can, you can count on it. You're not trusting him. Trust begins, the act of trust begins with, with prayer. But it's a particular kind of prayer, and that's where Psalm 57 is so helpful. There's a wonderful humility and, uh, and petition in this prayer. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. Now, David is a, he's a big, strong man's man. 
He's handsome. He's successful. He's renowned for his skills as a warrior. Uh, He's strong. He is, David is the definition of capable. Ask any of his friends, right? They'll tell you that. And yet here is David, the capable man, helpless and afraid, hiding in a cave. It's a very good place to be for capable people. Because you see, now out of his humility, he just asked for help. That mercy is help. Be merciful to me, God. Be merciful to me. But David doesn't just ask for help. Um, He then, in a sense, takes help. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Boys and girls, maybe you've seen a a mother hen spread her wings out to to hide her little chickens, her little chicks. Um, But have have you ever paid attention just to the chicks? When there's some danger, they instinctively make a beeline for those wings. No one has to tell them. Uh, what to do. They, they'd instinctively run to hide under the wings of mother hen. Well, that's what David's doing. He's a little chick. He's not this big, mighty, capable man. He's a little chick, and he's fleeing to the shadow of the wings of God for refuge. He, he does this instinctively. And I'm going to run there, he says, until the storms pass by. The storm will pass by. They're, they're not forever. But, but until then, David says, God, I'm, I'm going to run to you and take shelter under your wings. And he does so, you see, because he's convinced, he's convinced the wings are available to him. That might, just, it might seem obvious to you, but, but you see, this is what we do when we believe that God is for us. If you don't believe that God is for you, you won't run to him. Um, you'll be afraid of him. You'll maybe think that, that uh, the Father is punishing you, that he's against you, that he's opposed to you somehow. And so you won't, you won't run to him. But when you're convinced, as David was, that, that God is for him, then you'll run to him instinctively. That's what David does. I think it's interesting uh, that David doesn't ask God to take the storm away. I think that's what I would have prayed. Lord, you know what's happening. Uh, Saul's lost his mind. He's trying to kill me. Um, that's not what David prays. And it's, it would make, I mean, it would be understandable if he did. David had been anointed by God to be the next king of Israel. Saul had been judged by God because of Saul's sins. And yet Saul now, uh, having made himself, in a sense, the enemy of God, is attacking David. And um, why doesn't David just pray, Lord God, take care of the the guy. Take the storm away. Bring Saul to his senses or take him out of the picture. Why doesn't David pray for the storm to be taken away? Well, the answer is found in the very next verse. Verse 2. You see, the answer is found in what David believes to be true about God. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. The reason David does not pray for God to take the storm away is because David believes that God is in control of the storm and that God has a purpose for David in the storm. 
Um, there are two things that he, that he points out. God is most high and God is purposeful. Uh, A.W. Tozer once said that the, the very most important thing about any person is what they think of when they think about God. It's the most defining thing in your life, what you think about when you think about God. What does David think about when he thinks about God? He thinks about a sovereign God, a God most high. Saul is high, God is most high. Saul is a grain of sand compared to the living God. But not only is God powerful, God is purposeful. And he is purposeful for David. God has a purpose for David. David, you see, is crying out into a God of divine, loving providence. He's convinced that God has a purpose for him, and it is a good purpose, and God will fulfill that purpose. It's critical that we understand and believe this about God. John Flavely, a Puritan pastor who, who suffered greatly in his own life, uh, wrote a little book based on uh, Psalm 57.2 called The Mystery of Providence. He makes this great point that when it comes to a believer, all of God's providences flow from his promises and that there cannot be any inconsistency between what God promises and what he does. All the providences, everything God does, flows from and, and answers to and fulfills his promises. He cannot allow or ordain a single thing to run contrary. Everything, every single thing, must work toward the accomplishing of the purpose, the fulfilling of the promise. Every single thing. Flavel writes this, that we often forget this. He said, it is often true that we pre prejudge the work of providence and unjustly censure its designs. And in many of our troubles, we say, all these things are against us. But providence never does nor can do anything that is truly against the interests and good of the saints. The purpose of providence is to accomplish the promise. That means that if you're a child of God, every circumstance of your life is ordained by God to accomplish the good purpose of God for you. As, as, as Keller says, everything that happens in our life is what we would, have, would ask God to do in our life if we knew what he knows. That's a, that's a staggering thought. That's what David believes. And so you see, in the psalm, David doesn't know why this is happen, happening. He doesn't know how long it's going to happen. He doesn't get any explanation as to why it's happening. He doesn't need an explanation. He's rooted his assurance in the character of God. His confidence comes from what he believes to be true about God. That God is most high and God is purposeful and God fulfills every purpose. He doesn't have unfinished projects. Every purpose he fulfills. Which is why he can say in verse 3, God, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. It's all future tense. God will, God will, God will. Well, how does David know God will? 
How does he, I mean, has God said so? And David would say, absolutely. God has said that I'm going to be the king, and God has placed me in a, in a time of trouble, a storm of destruction, and David is convinced by the character and nature of God that it will happen. You see, his, his, the bedrock of his foundation is just the character of God, his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And again, friends, this is what faith does. It's how it works. Faith isn't believing that God will do this or that specific thing in order to remove the trial. We don't know what God's going to do with the trial, except that at some point, when the trial has accomplished the purpose God had for it, God will send from heaven and save us. And the storm of destruction will pass by. Even if we die in the storm of destruction, it will be passed by. And we will be delivered. See, David is able to find joy and peace and move to praise in the midst of great trouble because of what he believes to be true about God. It does not lessen the trouble. David talks about the trouble. Verse 4, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. David's trouble is still trouble, and it's real trouble. And the troubles that we experience are still trouble. The cancer diagnosis is a deadly diagnosis. It's a, it's a devastating diagnosis. The, 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 the fact that we might lose things that we need or love, we might lose a loved one, we might lose our employment, we might lose our, our health or, or our wealth. Uh, th those are painful, hard circumstances. D the Bible never pretends otherwise. David says, my soul was bowed down. He was sad. He was brokenhearted by what he saw happening. David was his father-in-law. David was his former boss. Sort of a father figure. The men who are coming after David to kill him used to be under David's command. These are men whose names he would know. It's, 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 it's a sad, sad situation. It breaks his heart. But David doesn't stay there. His sadness and his fear turns to praise under the shelter of God's wings. My heart is steadfast, oh God. My heart is steadfast. That, that David's become firm now in his faith. And I will sing and make melody. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. So out of the dark night of the trouble, out of the, 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 the pit of the cave, David is resolved to sing. Not because he's already been delivered. He hasn't been delivered. He's, he's in the cave, and Saul is still after them. He's, he's still helpless in the midst of the lions. But though he is helpless, he is full of, he's full of joy. He's full of assurance. He's full of confidence. God will save me. God will fulfill his purpose. Why? Because God is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness, even in the trial. That God is up to something. I don't know what it is. I can't quite figure it out. But, but I know that because God is who he is, because he, the character of God is love and faithfulness, 
Praise God. And not only praise God that in the sense of I can receive this, but I want people to know about this. I will sing your praises among the nations. I will give thanks among the peoples that God is this kind of God. Uh, David's moved to glorify the name of God. Be exalted, O God. Let your glory be over all the earth. David has this sense that his little life is in some way mattering in, in, in magnifying the glory of God. That's exactly what we're promised. That God is at work in our, in our little lives. We're here today and gone tomorrow. Every one of us made out of dust. And yet God is making out of your life a vessel to display the glory of God. So that angels will look and marvel at the greatness of God as it's displayed in the circumstances and the reality of your life as God makes you something beautiful and good and lasting and worthy and true. That's incredible what God is willing to do with your life and my life. When we would have thrown it away a thousand times. David is convinced that this is true and because this is true, it just it, it bends his knees. Father, Right, uh, glorify your name. Isn't this the prayer Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, our Father who art most high, hallowed be thy name, glorify your name, let my little life in some way, God, magnify you. Well, that's the prayer that David prays. It's the prayer of faith. It's what, it's what faith in action looks like. Uh, not complaining against God, not reviling against God, not, not uh, a prayer of self-pity. How could you have done this to me? What are you doing? Why aren't you answering? Why aren't you helping? Those are, those are laments, and there's a place for laments. But the, but the prayer of faith is, is going to move you to the character of God in the midst of your trouble. What do you believe about God? And, you, and, and it'll move you to ask in the midst of your trouble, what might God be up to here? God has a purpose here. This is not purposeless. It's not random. It's not accidental. God is accomplishing something good, something worthy. God is fulfilling his purposes for me. And friends, that's the story of the gospel. The, the, the gospel is the incredible story of what God has purposed for sinners like you and me in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, In love, he, that is God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Before the world began, God had a purpose for you, and that was to make you, in Christ, a child of God. Have you ever marveled at that? That you can say to the God who spoke and universes, galaxies sprung into being. You can, you can approach him and say, Father, Father, this is your child. I mean, if that's true, what can people do to you? They're little ants in the presence of Almighty God. Ephesians 1 verse 11, in him, that is in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God has purposed to make you a son, and if a son, then an heir, an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ, to give you the inheritance of everlasting life. Jesus says to his disciples, do not fear, little children, 
It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. You take pride now in the car you own, the house you live in. God has promised you the kingdom, the whole thing, forever, in the presence of God. Take courage, little children. All of God's providences in your life and my life then flow from his promises to give you that. One uh, commentator says, the Bible teaches us that all God's children, those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, can have absolute confidence that every single event in their lives is moving towards a predetermined end. The future determines the past and the present for God's elect. The future determines the past and the present. And the future is set in stone, and we know what the future is. We can therefore know that all of the things that happen in this life are moving us toward that goal, even if we don't know exactly how any given event contributes. And we don't know how any given event contributes. How could we know? We just have finite little minds. Richard Pratt tells the story of a time he's having a New Year's party, and his little 18-month-old daughter uh, discovered the bowl of jelly beans and happily uh, helped herself. And his wife said, uh, well, you know, we better, better shut that off. All that sugar before she goes to bed is not a good idea. And Richard said, ah, it's New Year's Eve. It's a party. And then after a while, they, they put her to bed. Well, the next morning, the little girl wakes up and makes a beeline for the jelly bean bowl. And, uh, and this time, uh, Richard Pratt realizes you really can't have jelly beans for breakfast. And so he takes the bowl and puts it up, sets it up on the refrigerator. And the little girl begins to cry. She has no comprehension why her father would be so wicked and cruel as to steal these jelly beans from her. So what, is, what did Richard Pratt do? What does the father do? Uh, well, he did not bend down and try to explain to her that the doctor has said that uh, jelly beans aren't good for breakfast, that um, there's a certain nutrition, nutrition that we need during the day, and jelly beans don't really fit into that, and they're okay for a party, but they're not okay. He didn't do that. She's 18 months old. She knows nothing about nutrition. She just knows she likes jelly beans. So what he did instead is he picked her up and gathered her in his arms and he comforted her and assured her that he loved her. And that was enough. The crying soon stops. You see, friends, God, <clears throat> God doesn't tell us uh, all of his purposes. He, does, he doesn't tell us how all the events of our life fulfilled the purposes. We don't know those things. And we wouldn't understand if he tried to explain it to us. But what he does do as, a, as our father is he, he gathers us under the shelter of his wings to comfort us. He, he assures us that he loves us. And that, that he has a good and glorious purpose for every single thing he does for us. He gave his own son, Jesus Christ, on a cross bearing our sin to assure us of these things and to accomplish, to seal his purposes for us. That's what God has done. Now, it's, we have a choice to make at that moment. And the choice is, will that be enough? Will the cross be enough? Will the resurrection of Christ be enough? Will we believe that God is for us on the basis of that evidence, or will we continue to believe that God is somehow not being fair to us? Will we believe that God is for us to such a degree that we will flee to take shelter under his wings, that we will make a decision to trust in his steadfast love, to take refuge in his faithfulness? 
or, or we're going to decide to put that to the side and we're just going to waffle in our unbelief and our fear. You got a choice to make. Everything, friends, that we need for faith and joy and peace is found this morning at the table of the Lord. The reality that this points to and presents to us is everything we need for faith and hope and joy and peace. And Jesus invites you this morning to participate, to take and eat and take and drink and take for your soul today shelter in the refuge of God's shadowing wings. May God grant it. Amen. Well, Father God, you've done great things for us, things that are far too great for us to even comprehend. And I thank you, Lord God, that you have done these things for for us, each of us individually and together corporately and for your people throughout the ages. But Lord, that means that, that you are today calling us to believe in a way that that transforms fear into praise. And Father, I pray that you would continue by your Holy Spirit to do your work so that actually happens and that we become people who are bold and confident and at peace even in the midst of a world that's coming apart because we know our God. We know our God. We know that he is most high. We know our God that he fulfills his purposes. We know our God that, that his steadfast love and faithfulness rises vastly far above all the, the, uh, the turmoil of our life in this, in this world. And Lord, I pray that taking refuge then in God, Lord, would be, that would be the story of our life. That'd be the, the story that we tell ourselves, that we belong to God. And, we, and that we believe this story because it's your story that you've told to us in the cross. I pray, Lord, that this morning as we come to the table, we would believe then your word to us and that it would remove the fear that we would, Lord, step out into the boldness of faith and the joy of praise. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite the elders to come forward as we come to the table of the Lord. Friends, Jesus gives us this uh, sacrament because he knows we're weak. Uh, he knows we forget. Uh, he knows we get scared. Uh, and uh, our faith gets shot through with unbelief at times. And so Jesus, because he knows us and because he loves us, he gives us this table, uh, tangible evidence of everything we've, we heard about this morning. Tangible evidence that, that as you touch and taste the bread and the wine. Uh, you can know with that certainty that God is for you in Jesus Christ. Uh, that is if you've, if you've turned to Christ, if you believe in Christ, if you've confessed your sin in humility, and if you've not done that, then I would just encourage you to do it today. What are you, what are you waiting for? Do it today. Come, come confessing your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. We invite, Jesus invites you to his table uh, this morning, if you are living, um, having professed your faith in him, you've, you've placed yourself 
uh, in the church under the, the, the headship of God's elders and that you're living a repentant life. You're, just, you're seeking to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, if you're not doing that, then we would ask that you just refrain this morning and come and talk to us. We'd love to talk to you and help you move forward in your Christian walk. Um, this, is, this is a table that Jesus Christ has given to us. He said to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. And so we know that on that last night, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. Um, and, he, and he told them specifically, this is my body, which is broken for who? For you. Broken for you. And so receive uh, from the hand of Jesus Christ this morning, his assurance that his sacrifice is sufficient for you and that all of God's goodness and love is available to you by faith in Jesus Christ. As the bread is... Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. That's right. Are you guys going to go back? Okay. As the...